Let's turn this morning in God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're just going to read from verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, for unto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Amen. We trust and pray that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 9. And I've got three words from verse 9 that I want to leave with you. And the three words are... A royal priesthood. So even the children here, the young people, if they're asked what, what was the minister speaking about this morning or what was the Reverend McLaughlin saying, if you hear of nothing else, if you learn of nothing else, at least learn the text. Three words, a royal priesthood. Now I want to link up these words with the words in verse 5, which we have omitted to date. Look at verse 5. An holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now my subject today is simply entitled The Priesthood of All Believers. So that's our theme for this morning. A couple of weeks ago we looked at election. And I was absent last Lord's Day down in Kilskiri. And now we're taking up the theme. We're thinking about the priesthood of all believers. Let's understand and grasp how privileged a people we really are. We're not only special to God, but we can speak to God <coughs> directly. Now there's three things that come to my mind about this little phrase, a royal priesthood. Now here's the first thing. 
the meaning of the term. What does this phrase, a royal priesthood, mean? You see, so often we read things out of the Bible. We can read verses. We could read a chapter. You could read a whole book. You could read just a couple of words, a few sentences, and not really understand what it means. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you by asking individually for a response. But let's at least open our mind. Let's, let's switch it on this morning. Let's try to engage. What do the words a royal priesthood mean? Now, before I answer that, let's remember the context. The Apostle Peter is writing to encourage God's people. God's people at this time need help. They need support. They're suffering fiery trials. They're being persecuted. They're being oppressed. Many of them are being murdered. Their homes are being possessed. Their possessions are being plundered. And their name is dirt as far as being a Christian is concerned. And he's writing to encourage them. He's saying to them, I don't want you to quit. Get your eyes in Christ. And now he's saying something else to them. Remember how privileged you are in Christ. See, he's already told them, but ye are a chosen generation. In other words, you are a special people to God. You're the elect of God. God has chosen you from all eternity in Christ. And now he continues to describe the glorious riches the believers have as the elect of God. He's talking about what they possess in Christ. And he calls them a royal priesthood. Now I want you to think with me this morning. You see, in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ is called and designated great high priest. There's many references that we could turn to. Now, I'm not going to bombard you with loads of references today, but let's just turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Hebrews 4 and 14. Here's the Apostle Paul now. And he's also writing to a people that's on the verge of quitting and giving up on Christ and turning away from Christianity altogether. And he wants to encourage them. And he's saying in verse 14 of chapter 4, seeing them that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens. He tells us who the high priest is. Jesus the Son of God. He's telling us where he's at. He's in the heavens. And then he's saying, adding this. Let us hold fast our profession. You see, in Paul's day, writing to Hebrew Christians. They were told, you don't have a priest to come to God. Paul saying, but we have. He's a great high priest. 
And he's Jesus, the Son of God. And he's passed into the heavens. In Old Testament times, in the economy of the children of Israel, there was men who served God in the capacity of priests. We could talk about the Aaronic priesthood that is in the line of Aaron. Aaron and his family were priests unto God. But only one was designated until his death or his tenureship was up, served as high priest. But never once were they ever called great high priest. And in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ alone is described and called great high priest. Now the role of a priest was to offer a sacrifice and offer supplication. That was a twofold function. And of course, when we think of Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ is the only proper <coughs> priest to offer a sacrifice to make a full atonement for sin. He's the one true mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who stands between the living and the dead. The one who was completely accepted by God. The proof that he offered a once and for all sacrifice that was acceptable to God is the doctrine of the resurrection, the empty tomb. Remember God the Father said, this is my <laughs> beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And here's the Apostle Peter writing to encourage these people and he's saying to them, now remember who you are. You're special to God. And in light of your election in Christ, you're also designated a royal priesthood. Think of the adjective here, royal. You see, the word royal adds the dominion of a kingdom and a king. In the kingdom of priests, there is a king. God had already said to the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19, and in the um, verse 6, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. See, Peter was using that Old Testament kingdom of priests and he was writing to encourage God's people and he added the words <coughs> royal priesthood. Let's remember that Jesus Christ is not only a priest, a great high priest, but he's also a king. Uh, over there in the prophecy of Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13, speaking of Christ, even he shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule upon his throne, and he shall be a priest upon his throne, and the counsel of peace shall be between them both. Paul, again writing in Hebrews 7, says of Christ in verse 17, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me try and put all those strands together. Peter is saying to them, remember this is what you are. And you are this, not only in because of your election in Christ, 
but you're part of a royal priesthood in the light of your head, Jesus Christ being a king and a priest. And we who are in him, we are also made kings and priests unto God. Wasn't this what the apostle John said in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5 and 6? And I was tempted to sing that hymn this morning. He says, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and have made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, the Lord has come and saved us. He has lifted us out of the pit of sin. He's lifted us out of the dunghill. He's made us sit with princes. He has designated us kings and priests unto himself. And Zechariah, of course, describes Christ as the royal priest, the kingly priest. And believers are priests in a royal priesthood. Now this was the very issue that arose at the time of the great Protestant Reformation. The Church of Rome at that time had a hierarchy of priests. They had a system of preference for men. Still has cardinals and bishops and monsignors and so on and so forth. And men were given power for themselves to rule. Men were set above other men. These men sadly at the time of Reformation lorded over the people and demanded a, a blinding obedience. Complete loyalty, complete submission. You might see some of the old films uh, and you'll maybe see the bishop or the archbishop sitting on a chair and people will come in before them and he'll hold out the hand. And he's not wanting them to smell his hand and see if he's smelling of roses or see if he's washed his hand. It's to kiss the ring. And when you kiss the ring of the cardinal or the bishop or the archbishop, it's a sign of submission. It's a sign that they have power and authority over you to, to bind your life and your conscience. And the great reformers, they set about restoring the biblical doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. See, they come across this phrase, a royal priesthood. And they remember that in Christ, God has made us kings and priests unto God. That every true born again believer is a priest unto God. I know we have teaching elders in Presbyterianism. I know we have ruling elders. But they're not lords over God's flock. They're not ogres. They're not men out to have their own way. They recognize under God that every believer is a king and priest under God. Now what does this mean to us? When you read these words, a royal priesthood, what does that say to you? Let me suggest two things very quickly. It means that every believer has access to God, including you. In the Old Testament times, the high priest himself once a year entered into the Holy of Holies. He came with the blood of the sacrifice of an animal. He came to make atonement for himself, his own sins, and the sins of the people. He put the blood in the heavenly mercy seat. And the majority of people, every other priest, apart from the great high priest or the high priest himself, he had no right to enter in within the veil. 
Now, now think of it. In the Old Testament, the way, the holiest of holies, was only open to one man once per year, and that was blood. That was the high priest. When the Lord Jesus died, when he offered a once and for all sacrifice for sin, remember Hebrews 10 and 12, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. When Christ died, the Bible tells us that the veil and Uh, that covered the Holy of Holies, was rent in two, and the way was open for every true believer to come to God. Turn over there to Hebrews 10, verse 19. I said I wouldn't bombard you with um, verses, and I'm not going to do that, but look at Hebrews 10 and verse 19. He says... Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God. See, every believer in Christ has now access to God. Because they've been born again. They've been given this blood-bought right to have access to God. Every believer has a right of passage to come to God. To to approach unto him. Every believer can carry everything in his heart and mind that affects his life to God in prayer. We don't need a hierarchy of priests. We we don't need an archbishop or, or, or a cardinal or a bishop or a pope to tell us that we can go to God. Or we can go through them to God. We don't need a go-between appointed by the church. For the church. We, we don't need a set of ceremonies. Or a set of rituals. We don't need to go through a rigmarole with beads and a prayer book. Every believer has access to God. Now, now think of this this morning. Christ is the great high priest of his people. He's the sole mediator. And he has opened up the way for us in him to come to God. Ephesians 2, I think it's verse 18, it says, For through him, that's Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. Didn't Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Isn't this a a product of our sonship? Because we've been born again of the Holy Spirit, what do we cry? We cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God who um, has regenerated us, the Spirit of God who indwells us, the Spirit of God produces prayers within us and prompts us to cry unto God, Abba, Father. What a privilege of being a child of God. Not only are we chosen... But we can specifically call on God as Father. We can approach God this morning, folks. We can draw near. God's ears open to us. God will listen to our cry. Isn't it true that we all struggle in prayer? Do you struggle in prayer? I struggle in prayer. Prayer's hard. Prayer can be difficult. And of course the devil does his utmost to, to stop you praying. He hates, I believe. He fears, I believe, the weakest saint who gets on their knees. 
man, woman or young person. He comes and he tells us, you can't pray. Did you ever listen to yourself? You're not saying the words properly. You're not as good at praying as other people. Wait a minute, you're a sinner. You have sinned that you have no right to come to God. It's nothing for you to enter into his presence. You want to tell the devil you're a liar. You want to tell your de- the devil, but I'm a royal priest under God. I'm part of a royal priesthood. I'm part and a priest in God's kingdom. Jesus Christ is my king, priestly king. In him I am designated a priest under God. Believer, that's our confidence in approaching him. We, 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 we sang there this morning in that lovely hymn in the robes of spotless whiteness with the blood of Christ is worth he has gone into that brightness Christ rejected from the earth Christ accepted there and high and in him do I draw nigh? We can constantly approach God every day, every minute of every day. We, we, we can call to him. Isn't it said in Psalm 55 and verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain thee. You see, this is a privilege. Do we use that privilege? Or do we misuse it? Do we abuse the privilege? Do we neglect it? Maybe we could ask it this way. When last did you talk to God in prayer? Now let's be honest. We're before the Lord. When last did you get alone and speak to the Lord about yourself, your situation, and about your family? Remember what the Lord Jesus says over there in Matthew chapter um, 6 and and in in the verse 6. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Here's a great privilege. Here's a wonderful means where we have access to God. Every believer, I'm a priest unto God. It would be a failure in our part if we didn't employ the means. Also, very quickly, it also means every believer's activity before God. You see, the Old Testament priests, they served God in the tabernacle and in the temple. They had a twofold function. They offered sacrifices, a reminder of sin. Those sacrifices, the animal sacrifices, could never take away sin. They provided a covering for sin until the once and for all sacrifice came to pass. That was the Lord Jesus. They also offered prayer for themselves and for the people. The Lord Jesus, of course, offered up a once and for all sacrifice for sin, an atoning sacrifice. And as priests unto God, we also are involved in service. We also are involved in offering and sacrifice. And as believers, we are to be active in the offering up of sacrifices. Now, what kind of sacrifices are there? Certainly not an atoning sacrifice. That's unique. Look look with me at verse 5 for a little moment. 
He says, An holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now what sacrifices do we offer? Let me just suggest very, very quickly, firstly we offer up ourselves. Think of the missionary offering. We fell had no money and he took the basket from the steward and he put it in the ground and he stepped into it and he said, Lord, I've no money but I'll give you me. Isn't that what Paul was referring to whenever he was writing to the church at Rome and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, the whole of the Christian life is to be devoted to being near to God. And part of that devotion is the sacrifice of ourselves. Here am I, Lord. Have all that there is of me. Entire consecration to God. Some believers, sadly, only give part of their lives to God. Some believers only give one hour to God on a Sunday. Some believers only come morning only. They might give an hour in the week. But that's good as far as it goes. But the Lord's not content with just a part. He wants all of our lives. Yielded to him 100%. The sacrifice of ourselves. The bodily sacrifice. A living sacrifice. What about the sacrifice of praise? Turn over there to Hebrews. Again, Hebrews chapter 13. Just look at these couple of verses. It says in verse 15, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Think of that. The fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Being thankful, young people. Thankful for what we have. Thankful for what we are. Did you ever thank God that you are part of a royal priesthood? Did you ever thank God for being a priest unto God? We teach our children to say thank you, and rightly so, you give them something. We, we thank God for our food. I encourage you to do that. We, we thank God for all material blessings. For physical blessings, health and strength, soundness of mind and body. Uh, we, we, we thank God for answers to prayer. We, we thank God for spiritual blessings, his presence with us, his peace that rules and reigns in our heart, the pardon of the precious blood, the knowledge of sins forgiven, the provision of God, sacrifice of praise. The Bible says, be thankful unto him and bless his knee. What about the sacrifice of charity? He says in verse 16 of Hebrews uh, 13, but to do good, doing good. Help and support others. Doing good to all men, especially to they who are the household of faith. Doing good to your neighbour. And to communicate, forget not. Speaking to others. An expression of love. Expression of grace. Expression of mercy. The praying. The preaching. The practising our, our Christianity before men. It's all part of a sacrifice of communication. What about the sacrifice of a broken and a contrite heart? Psalm 51. The psalmist said, God will not despise it. Look at verse 16 again of Hebrews 13. 
He says, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. See, here's the activity that as a priest we're to engage in. Yes, we have access to God to speak to him, but we're also to offer the sacrifice of ourselves. My body for God, I'm bought with a price. I give to God the fruit of my lips. My tongue will be thankful and speak well of him. I seek to do good. I seek to communicate with others. I'll offer the sacrifice of a broken and a contrite heart. I realize I'm totally and absolutely his, and I'm totally and absolutely dependent upon it. And with such, God is well pleased. This is all part of being a priest, a royal priest. Now, now, now we don't offer these sacrifices to be saved. We don't offer them to gain favor with God. We, we don't offer them to, to obtain merit in Christ. This has nothing to do with being accepted to God. Because we're saved. Because we're already God's people. Because we are born of the Spirit and washed in the blood. Be because we are part of a royal priesthood. This is the activity we willingly and voluntarily and cheerfully and joyfully engage in. Now that's just the meaning. Let me just state two other things very, very quickly. I want you to think of the mentioning of this term. Let's, let's, go, back, let's go back to Peter there. 1 Peter chapter 2. And just look at the words again. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Why did Peter mention this? Why did he include this? Remember again the context. He's always out to encourage God's people. And he's saying to them, remember who you are. And remember what you have in Christ. Remember you're related to Christ. And therefore you're the most privileged people in all of the world. Folks, isn't it true? We're, we're all prone to forget <coughs> things. We're all prone to forget who we are. Not, not, not that we forget our name. Unless you're suffering from some extreme form of dementia. And sadly there are people who are suffering dementia. And that's a very, very traumatic illness for them and their family. And we're conscious of that. But I'm thinking about forgetting who we are in a spiritual sense. Forgetting what we have in Christ. Forgetting that we're the most privileged people on the planet. We're prone to forget that. And that's why I believe he mentioned it. Remember who you are. You, you, you see, we're prone to forget when we're fulfilling tasks. You, you say to me this morning, and rightly so, <coughs> but I've got to live, Reverend. I've got to work. I've got responsibility. I've got commitments. I, I'm a father. I'm a mother. I, I, I'm a student at university. Or, or I'm a, a pupil in a school. And I've got homework and all the rest of it. Remember Martha? Domesticated in the kitchen. Busy serving. Taken up with domestic affairs. And she's distracted so much. The one thing that's necessary. Sitting at the feet of Christ. Keeping focused on him. Mary or Martha lost sight of that. And so easily we can become Martha's. We're busy fulfilling tasks. Even busy doing the work of God. 
and we're working hard, we're struggling, we're, we're trying to make ends meet, we're dealing with things. And we forget as children of God to take time to sit at the Saviour's feet and to learn of Him. We're prone to forget when we're facing trials. We're not immune from trials and troubles. And the darkness of these times that come into our lives, the distress of these difficulties, they make us prone to forget that we're a privileged people. Did you ever think in the midst of trials, I'm a royal priest unto God? Is it not true that we misunderstand our trials? Is it not true that so often we lose sight of the Saviour when we're suffering them? Is it not true that our trials can be occasion for our coldness and backsliding? And we're plunged into the depths of despair. And we think, why on earth is this happening to me? I'm prone to forget who we are. And we need reminding. And these people were going through fiery trials. And I believe he mentioned it because they needed reminding. And what about focusing on temptation? These people were tempted to, to sin. These people were tempted to quit the Christian life altogether. You see, sin blinds our minds. Sin draws us away from Christ. Sin causes us to, to depart from him. The danger is that we can focus on what we face and forget who we are. He's saying to them, and I believe this is why he mentioned it, and I'm taking it slowly, I'm just about to finish. Their duty was to remember who they are. You're in a relationship with Christ. You have a responsibility because you've got so many privileges. Act upon your privileges. You're special to God. Now go and speak to God. As part of that royal priesthood. I believe that's why he mentioned it. We're prone to forget. And lastly, the message of this term. Oh, this is wide and varied. Exercise your right as a royal priesthood. Go and call on God. Haven't we already called on God for salvation? I often think of the great example, John Newton a wonderful example of God's amazing grace. A man who was brought up uh, on his mother's knee, being taught spiritual truth about God and sin and the way of salvation. A young teenager went into rebellion because of an unexpected death that happened in the family. Uh, and he forgot all that he learned at his mother's knee. It meant nothing to him and into the way of wickedness. He, he became a, a seafaring man. He had a, such an appetite for sin. He had a reputation for godlessness and graceless. He was a hopeless case. You would have said, John Newton, he'll just live and die without Christ. You know, in 19, or sorry, 1748, a storm somewhere around the coast of Ireland brought Newton to an end of himself. Do you know what he did? In the midst of the storm, he cried out, if this will not do, whatever attempts they were making to, to save themselves in the ship, Lord have mercy on us. And he was startled. And you know, before too long, that young man at 23 years of age had tasted the real mercy of God. He was transformed. He got a new heart. He got a new desire. He became a minister of the gospel in the Church of England. And he was a faithful reformer of the church. And he put a text over his, his, his mantelpiece in his house. And that text, of course, was from the book of Deuteronomy. 
uh, and in uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 16, wasn't it, uh, and uh, uh, verse uh, 15. Uh, uh, um, maybe it was chapter 15 and, 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 and verse um, uh, 15. Yes, and thou shall remember that thou wast a born man in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. Remember thou was a born man. You see, Newton wanted to remember what a privilege it was for him to call on God for salvation. You can call on God today for salvation. Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever called on God for salvation? That's a privilege. What about calling on God for sanctification? We haven't really time to open it up. We'll touch on the holiness aspect next Lord's Day. Unholy priesthood. You see, we're already called to be holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, the psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. There has to be the confession of sin. There has to be a dealing with sin. And when we have access to God, when we approach into his presence, we realize this is a holy God. A God who hates sin. A God who loves righteousness. And therefore we have to deal with our sin. We have to confess it. We have to put it away. And it's all in the context here of living out the Christian life in the midst of persecution and difficulty. And what about calling on God for every situation? The hymn writer penned it well. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Do you know as a Christian, you can go to God and you can pray about everything. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to be troubled. You, you, you don't have to carry the burden by yourself. You can go and cast it at the Lord. Didn't he say, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Here's the message that arises out of this royal priesthood. Ask yourself, have I called on God for salvation? Do I pray about holiness of life and heart? Do I pray about every situation? Have I learned to bring everything to God in prayer? This is only part of the great message that comes out of this. I pray that we'll grasp the meaning. Let's see who we are. Let's encourage our hearts, no matter when we face tasks, trials or temptation. And let's see to it that we call on God in prayer.